welcome to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. Every week, decisions are made across Maine that affect the future of our environments. Lawmakers in Augusta propose or debate new bills. Mainers speak up on proposals made by corporations or state agencies. Clean energy projects are launched, or communities take action to address threats to clean air or water or open spaces that they cherish. Since 1959, NRCM has been on the front lines, tracking these developments and tapping into the power of Maine people, science, and the law. NRCM does this to protect and enhance the nature of Maine. So every two weeks, we'll sit down with advocates and experts to discuss some of the most important stories you need to know about and what lies ahead. Thank you for listening as we share our view from the front lines. Hello, I'm Colin Durant, NRCM's Advocacy Communications Director, and I'm here with our Advocacy Director, Pete Didesheim, to dive into the latest news about Maine's environment. But first, Pete, I've got to give you a huge congratulations for reaching an amazing milestone the other day. You celebrated your 25th anniversary, 25 years at NRCM. Wow, that's just amazing. And speaking for the staff and all our supporters, I know we couldn't be more grateful for all your dedication and hard work. Oh, thank you so much. I, I do tell almost everybody that asks, I've got the best job in Maine, and I'm privileged to have it. So still still around for a while. Woohoo! That's great. Yeah. Um, well, so now let's get down to business. Enough fun. Let's get down to business. We want to do uh, focus our conversation today on some of the big, bold announcements we've seen recently. So just last week, President Biden announced his American Jobs Plan, a far-reaching strategy to invest in job creation through infrastructure and clean energy projects. That dovetails nicely with a lead-by-example report that was issued by the state of Maine about the actions our state government um, will take, are taking to help meet our ambitious climate goals. So building on these announcements, we wanted to focus on the theme of leading by example and how important it is at every level from personal to global for protecting the environment and addressing climate change. Uh, but before we do that, as we do every time, can you just give us a few quick highlights of other stories or developments over the past two weeks that you really think people should know about? Uh, sure, yeah. First, let me just start by mentioning some great testimony I heard recently. It came during a hearing on three bills to ban the intentional release of balloons into the environment. Countless balloons are released every year in Maine, around the world, really, uh, at memorial events or celebrations. And they just become plastic pollution at sea and across you know, our forests and land. They land all over the place. And they're a threat to seabirds and wildlife, and that's been well documented. Lots of people testified in support of these bills, but the most compelling for me came from Zach Kleiber. He's a former ship captain for whale watching tours out of Far Harbor. He grew up in Eastport in a fishing family, and over the course of 30 years, brought 600,000 people on 3,000 whale watching tours. He saw lots of plastic escalating over his years doing that job to a crisis level. And he saw lots and lots of balloons, and he would slow down the boat, as he described to the committee members, and he would pull balloons out of the ocean. And he said that the people on board would cheer. He said they understood that these balloons, he would see 17, 20 of them in a single trip. Um, they looked like jellyfish to, to turtles and other mammals, and it was a threat to them. So that was compelling testimony. Let me just mention a few other quick things. 
also of interest was an announcement last week by the governor's office that it's seeking a consultant to help with the development of a clean transportation roadmap. This is very important because 54% of Maine's climate emissions come from the transportation sector. So they'll hire a contractor in late May, hold stakeholder sessions through the summer and fall and produce a, a report by December 15th. So we'll be tracking this process and participating in it. And I'm sure we'll talk more about it down the road, so to speak. Also last week, Brookfield, the company that owns four dams on the Kennebec River between Waterville and Skowhegan, these are dams that threaten survival of the endangered Atlantic salmon, that company sued the state of Maine. So Brookfield is a $60 billion Canadian corporation that owns more than 5,000 dams and generating facilities around the world. And they're suing Maine over a management plan for the Kennebec River that recommends removal of up to four dams uh, between Waterville and Skowhegan, which we support. Brookfield claims it would be irreparably harmed. That's what the lawsuit says. If the Maine Department of Marine Resources finalizes its Kennebec management plan and submits it to the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. But I've got to say, what about the irreparable harm caused by Brookfield's dam to the Kennebec? That's the damage that Mainers should be concerned about, not the inconsequential effect of dam removals for a $60 billion corporation. Uh, so we'll be devoting a full podcast to this topic in, in a couple of weeks. It's an important one. Uh, regarding the Central Maine Power transmission line, a couple developments of note. The first district court of appeals last week heard oral arguments on whether to extend the existing court injunction that's blocking CMP from clear cutting a 53 mile corridor across Western Maine forest lands. We won this injunction in December and last week we urged the court to keep the injunction in place until our multiple appeals of permits for the project have been fully heard. And finally, um, also of note, the Penobscot Nation and several First Nations from Quebec and Labrador wrote to President Biden and to Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau, urging them to block the Hydro-Quebec CMP transmission line to Massachusetts across Maine. And here's an interesting quote from the letter, quote, Hydro-Quebec claims to offer green energy to American consumers while making billions of dollars in profits at the expense of the indigenous peoples whose ancestral lands it exploits. We are tired of this. That's why we're calling on the Canadian and American governments to intervene on our behalf, end quote. These are powerful words and we agree with them completely. Absolutely. Um, so let's let's quickly shift to the theme of leading by example. The um, <clears throat> As we said before, the Mills administration issued a report this week detailing some of the steps that government agencies are going to take to demonstrate leadership in reducing uh, carbon pollution. Can you give us a little insight into what the report says, what it means? Sure. Yeah. So the report starts with a strong statement from the governor, uh, which says, Whenever possible, we will make buildings more efficient and we will tap into renewable energy, helping to fight climate change and saving taxpayer money in the long run. And the report documents how much energy is used by the state of Maine in its facilities and transportation and their greenhouse gas emissions by fuel type and by source. And not surprising, transportation fuels comprise the largest share of emissions by the state. And the report then describes 11 different actions that the state will take in areas including clean energy procurement and energy efficiency upgrades, standards for new construction, expanding the number of electric vehicles in the state fleet, and making our infrastructure more resilient to sea level rise and other climate risks. 
It's a good report with specific commitments, dates, and a lot of data, just what's needed to serve as a framework for tracking progress and for demonstrating leadership by the state, which we also believe is, is important. Yeah, and of course, Maine has long fulfilled the meaning of its state motto, Dear Go, demonstrating leadership on so many environmental issues over the years. Uh, can you talk a little bit about this? In particular, I'm interested in cases where Mainers took big steps to demonstrate leadership, um, where we joined with other leaders or inspired others to act. Sure. It's a long list and an important one, and it goes back many years, decades. So some that come to mind in 1971, Maine was the first of, you know, first state of the nation, I believe, and only the only one in New England to enact a mandatory shoreland zoning law to help protect the water quality of our lakes from development. And because of that law, Maine has some of the cleanest lakes in the nation. And the law is recognized as a national model for responsible environmental legislation. A few years ago, Vermont compared their uh, regulations to Maine's and their lakes were, dirt, were dirty, didn't have the same water quality. And they were it, clearly they were envious of what we put in place in the state of Maine. In 1976, we were the second state in the nation to adopt a bottle bill, uh, which was great. It was attacked by Pepsi-Cola, but we ended, ended up putting it into place. In 1978, we were one of the only states in the country to ban uh, billboards on our roads, which is great. In 1999, of course, we were the first state in the nation where a dam owner was directed to remove their dam because it was causing more harm to the river and the environment than it was providing benefits to society. That dam was the Edwards Dam huge success in river restoration when it was removed. And that removal has helped lead to many other dam removals across the state, mostly dams that don't generate power, but very important. Um, and Edwards helped uh, uh, lead the way on that. In 2004, we passed the nation's first law requiring manufacturers of electronic waste to help pay for the end of life recycling of e-waste. And now there's 25 states that have similar laws. And in 2019, we were the first state in the nation to ban single-use foam food packaging. Interestingly, that action came after 20 individual towns across Maine adopted ordinances banning disposable foam food containers, extending back all the way in time to the town of Freeport, which adopted the first such ordinance in January 1990. And this is a really interesting story because Freeport's action was spurred by elementary school kids, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders in Freeport who had studied the issue. They actually marched on Main Street and they picketed outside of McDonald's. And two of those kids actually debated a plastic industry lobbyist on the Today Show. And just showing that calls for leadership and demonstrating leadership can involve people, communities you know, across the state, at every level and at every age. So pretty impressive. Yeah, it's such an impressive list. Um, so why do you, I'm curious, you know, as we mentioned, you've been doing this work for 20 years. Why Why Maine? Why Why do you think Maine and Maine people have, have stepped up over and over again to show this level of leadership on environmental issues? Well, it, it's pretty clear that it flows naturally from our passion for protecting Maine's environment. And that passion is because we love getting out into the natural environment. We have more land trusts and lake associations per capita than any other state. And those are important ways that people volunteer. And the tradition of working in a bipartisan way to protect Maine's, Maine's environment extends back really 50 years. 
In fact, many of our most important environmental laws were passed with leadership from Republican lawmakers in the 1970s. Well, you know, let's move from local to national. Uh, President Biden traveled to Pittsburgh to announce his administration's historic plan to build back better. It's an infrastructure plan centered on creating good paying jobs uh, and helping our economy recover stronger. And we were talking the other day about how exact this is exactly uh, what we need the federal government to be doing in order to lead by example. So can you just talk a little bit more about that, about Biden's plan and what that means? Sure. So a big announcement, uh, lots of coverage on it. From my perspective, this is one of the most important, potentially transformative proposals in my lifetime, really. And it's not a bill yet, and there will be a lot of debate and modifications, obviously. But what the president announced goes right at key problems that we know have been neglected for decades. Our roads need repairing, and we also need solutions that move us away from our dependence on cars and trucks. Our climate needs repair urgently, with big investments that move us away from fossil fuels and social justice needs urgent attention, including clean energy investments that help disadvantaged communities. All of these issues are addressed by this plan, which is why for me, it really does fit the title Build Back Better. This is what rebuilding back better would look like. The plan includes big investments for repairing roads and bridges. Obviously that's important for job creation and for safety issues but also extending broadband throughout the country, replacing lead pipes so everyone has fresh water, repairing wastewater treatment plants that still allow sewage to pollute our rivers and coastal waters. But the really big investments that are so exciting and necessary are in the area of clean energy and climate action. For electric vehicles and charging stations, energy efficient buildings, boosting clean energy projects, this plan emerges at a time when the world is looking for leadership to address the systems of energy use that threaten our future. If enacted in anything like its current form, this American Jobs Plan, I think, would send a strong message that the United States is prepared to lead by example in addressing climate change. Very exciting. I was on a call with a solar energy developer recently and he was just thrilled. He said, this is a thrilling time to be alive with a proposal like this being put out on the table. Mm, I totally agree. And, you know, it's great to see the Biden administration, you know, not shying away from this. And, you know, he just, he's, the cabinet secretaries are out They're They're um, pushing back against the idea that infrastructure is just roads and bridges. It's, it's this whole entire package. And, and they're, and they're talking about this vision. It's really exciting. Uh, but before, before we go, I wanted to touch briefly uh, on the main legislature, because there there was a lot that happened over the past couple of weeks. Um, you know, a, a new biennial budget has been passed, but not uh, before creating some acrimony or friction between Democrats and Republicans. Uh, public hearings are continuing and the legislature will return in a special session later this month to address all the pending legislation. But I'm curious, can you just give us your take on where we're at in the legislative process and given all the all this uh, the shift, what the prospects are for some of the top bills we've been working on? Sure. Yeah. As you said, the legislature finalized a budget, then adjourned so that the bill would become law 90 days after adjournment, uh, which will put the budget into place by July 1st, which is the start of Maine's fiscal year. Uh, but despite the partisan vote on the budget, lawmakers did decide to continue working on the more than a thousand bills that are still under consideration. So public hearings and work sessions 
are still happening daily and we're tracking those and testifying and working with lawmakers on those. We have yet to see whether the partisanship over the budget makes it more difficult to achieve bipartisan support for measures, including bonds, which require a two thirds vote to send those measures out to the voters. We hope that lawmakers still support a small set of important bond measures, including funding for the Land for Maine's Future program, which is out of money, really popular, and an important program to help uh, conserve areas around the state. Separate from bonding, we remain pretty optimistic that lawmakers can achieve some progress in a bipartisan way on a number of bills dealing with renewable energy, climate action, recycling, and protecting public lands. Um, one additional result of the adjournment that's kind of interesting, um, followed by the special session, um, is that the citizen-initiated referendum to block the CMP corridor, it has been printed as a bill, but because of adjournment, it will no longer uh, have a public hearing at the legislature. Instead, it will be sent directly to the November ballot. So it looks like Maine voters will have an opportunity to vote on the CMP project come November. And we hope that injunction stays in place so that they can't clear cut that quarter before then. Absolutely. And it's good to know that many of our bills are still front and center uh, for lawmakers and they'll continue to be uh, in the week. Uh, excuse me. Whew, in the weeks ahead. Yeah. Need more coffee. Um, <laughs> uh, but so as we do every episode, uh, let's wrap up by just having you give us a highlight into uh, what what you think folks should be paying attention to or anticipate? What's coming up in the next couple of weeks? Sure. So we're waiting to see the printed version of a bill that would create an extended producer responsibility program in Maine for manufacturers. We hope to see this in the next week. The bill would create an opportunity for Maine to be the first in the nation, again, a lead by example, uh, uh, opportunity to establish a program in which manufacturers would help fund the recycling programs for the tsunami of packaging waste caused by e-commerce. And managing that waste has just become unsustainable for communities. Programs like this do exist around the world, uh, but corporations have blocked their passage here in the US. So it's time for Maine to lead the way on this. <clears throat> As I've mentioned in a previous episode, <clears throat> there are 10 states that are trying to get um, a bill like this into place. We also expect to see additional information this week from Wolfton, which is the Canadian company that wants to build a mineral mine in Northern Maine. And that mine would cause <clears throat> massive pollution to waterways up in that area. Wolfton has failed miserably to answer critical questions raised by the Land Use Planning Commission about how we would operate such a mill safely for the environment. Um, and we doubt they will provide convincing answers in their latest response, but we will uh, dissect that as soon as it's, as it's released. Finally, we're closely following legislative action on bills dealing with solar energy development. We're confident the Energy Utilities and Technology Committee will vote against three bills that would eliminate or weaken our net metering laws for solar energy, but they may pass a bill uh, creating a short pause on some projects and a stakeholder process would be created to look at whether we need to tweak our solar energy laws in any way. So we're watching that pretty closely and we wanna make sure that Maine stays on track to add hundreds of megawatts of new solar energy in the next few years. Oh, for sure. So uh, what, what's been happening with solar is really exciting. Yeah. Uh, and we gotta keep that yeah. momentum going. Statewide, well, it's, it's, it's happening. Projects are happening all over the state. Absolutely. Um, well, Pete, uh, 
you know, thanks so much. And there you have it, everyone. Uh, that's, that's the latest news from around Maine. Um, uh, while you're waiting for our next podcast to drop, be sure to visit nrcm.org uh, or sign up for our email action alerts to get the latest news on what's happening. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at NRCM Environment. That's all just one word. Um, so uh, until next time, thanks again for listening. And thanks, Pete, for uh, giving us all, all your insight. You bet. It was a pleasure as always. Thank you for listening to Maine Environment Frontline Voices. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to our podcast or leave a review on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast listening apps. To learn more about NRCM, please visit nrcm.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at NRCM Environment. Until next time, Thanks for your interest, attention, and involvement in the collective efforts by Maine people to protect the unique woods, waters, and wildlife of our state. Thanks again.